0: Welcome to the Beyond Sunday Podcast, where we bring Sunday home. Join us as we dive deeper into First Baptist's weekly sermons, discuss practical applications, and answer your questions. Hello and welcome to the Beyond Sunday Podcast. I'm Jordan Upton, the Director of Broadcast and Media Outreach here at First Baptist, and with me as always is Pastor Jeff Reynolds. Jeff, how are you doing today? Doing great, Jordan. How are you this morning? I'm great, yeah. Good. Yeah. So we'll dive right into James 2, 1-13. through 13. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who has said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment." Okay, so Jeff, there's so much in that passage. There's a whole lot, yeah. On Sunday, you talked about the proper definition of love. You brought up that humans are made in the image of God, but what does
1: being made in the image of God actually mean? Well, I'll say that I have entire books, multi-hundred page books in my office that are devoted to what does it mean that we are made in the image of God. So it's a vitally important concept within Christian theology, and it's a vitally important concept as we live out our faith, recognizing first about ourselves and also about others that we are unique among creation as the image bearers of Almighty God. So Obviously, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, uh, the Bible tells us that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. But then further in Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, the Bible tells us that when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. And then, further, when God is speaking to Noah after the flood in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, God says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Uh, I would say that to be created in God's image means that we bear an offspring like resemblance to God. So, Adam and Eve had a son. His name was Seth. And he was said to be like Adam and in his image. So, so Adam and Eve's offspring are in the image of them. Uh, but that would include for us, uh, not necessarily limited to um, attributes like intellectual ability, moral awareness, a spiritual nature, having dominion over the earth, the ability to express creativity, the ability to make ethical choices, and things like that nature. So. If you differentiate between us and animals, for example, animals function by instinct. They react. They don't thoughtfully respond. Um, you know, if I think about my dog, my, my little foo-foo dog who I love so much. Um, she She's pretty easy to train. If there's a treat involved, she's going to do it. She's <laughs> going to do what I want her to do. And if there's not a treat involved, she's going to be a little bit more obstinate because she has learned – if treat, then good. If no treat, then who cares? You know that sort of a thing. But she's not thinking about the moral implications of her decisions. She's just she's just doing the thing. And and frankly, by being a dog, she is glorifying God in her dogness. I stole that phrase from Al Mohler. He's said it at a convention I went to back in two thousand three. So a dog in its dogness glorifies God. Even a cat in its catness glorifies God. But, but you think about the animal kingdom, and when we go back to the, the, the creation narrative, God made Adam, and no helper suitable for him was found. And so what did God do? Well, he brought by all the animals, and Adam named the animals. And still, among all the animal kingdom, no helper was fit for him. And so God caused him to fall into a deep sleep, took the rib from his side, "...fashioned the woman the crowning glory of creation, and Adam said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man." So, so there's this idea that human beings, male and female, bear the image of God and therefore are uniquely worthy of a certain dignity and honor and respect. You know, I would argue that we should care for all of God's creatures. We should mm-hmm. care for all of God's creation. That's part of the stewardship that God has entrusted to us. But, you know, he gave Adam and Eve the cultural mandate, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And so he 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 left human beings as his as his representatives. As his ambassadors, that we would that we would rule over that which he created, and that we would faithfully steward it for him. So that's that's really what it means. Um, of course, the image of God in humans is marred by the effects of the fall, uh, because we are sinners and we live in a sin fallen world. Because we have a sinful nature, because we turn away from God, yes, the image of God is marred in us. Uh, Once we come to Christ, what is happening is through our sanctification, this, this progressive journey of better imaging God by the way that I live my life begins and it continues and then at Christ's return. When we are raised imperishable, those of us who trust and follow Jesus, um, then the image of God will be perfectly restored in us for all eternity, and that will be wonderful. So that's that's really what it means to be made in the image of God.
0: So essentially it's reflecting the values and ethics and— virtue of God not a physical likeness
1: that's right that's right you know the Bible tells us that God is spirit in John chapter 4 Jesus tells the woman at the well God is spirit and true worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth and so uh, although often there is some sense in which uh, the biblical writers talk about God's hands God's heart God's you know all those sorts of things um, we know that God, uh, became flesh, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that, that God took on flesh. So the, the eternal son of God, uh, remaining what he always was, became what he had not been and take in taking on human flesh, but God is spirit. So it's not that uh, when we look to God, it's some sort of grandfather-esque fic- uh, figure that often is represented in Renaissance art, for example, and, um, but God is spirit. And so uh, our resemblance to him is not necessarily in our bodily form, but it is in those things that you just mentioned, our our creativity, our ability to make moral choices, our call to to rule over God's creation. You can see easily where Paul is getting this idea
0: that Jesus is the image of God. So we're yes. made in the image of God, but Jesus is the image of God. So it's not that Jesus looks like the invisible God. It's that he
1: reflects perfectly everything that God represents. That's, that is a great way to say that. He is the absolute perfect reflection, uh, the absolute perfect incarnation of God's character in human flesh. So you also discussed
0: Leviticus 19.18 on Sunday. Leviticus 19.18 says, love your neighbor as yourself. So my wife, Taylor, had a great question for you. If love your neighbor is the second most important commandment, as Jesus says... Why isn't it in the Ten Commandments?
1: You have a very observant wife. And, I do. Uh, <laughs> you, you, have, you have married above yourself, and I, I actually have. officiated your wedding and told you that on that day, so that's good. <laughs> um, I would say this because I've wondered the same thing. So Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He gives to? All right. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That comes straight from the Shema. Deuteronomy chapter six verses four and five. Hear, O Israel: The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So that's number one. And one could argue that that's analogous to the first of the ten commandments: "I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me." And mm-hmm. so those 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 two pretty much line up. Um, but then you're right. Jesus quotes. Leviticus chapter 19, love your neighbor as yourself, which comes, as I mentioned, uh, at the end of a long passage in which God is telling his people, this is how you are to live in interaction with other human beings. Let's think for a moment about the Ten Commandments as a whole. So there are ten of them. I would say that there's a dividing line in the Ten Commandments. The first four are, have no other gods before God, don't bow down to an idol, honor God's name and observe the Sabbath. All of those really have to do with our relationship with God. Mm -hmm. How do I live my life in such a way that I am honoring God first and foremost? Well, of course, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, but then also I'm not going to bow down to an idol. I'm not going to profane the name of Almighty God. Um, I'm going to honor the Sabbath because God rested on the seventh day and I will follow that pattern. So really those those first four commandments have everything to do with how we interact with God. But then we think about the other six. So what are the other six commandments well, honor your father and mother, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness against your neighbor, and don't covet. Those six commands all have to do with how we treat other human beings. Now, I would say that honor your father and mother kind of splits the difference because it's, it's how do we deal with authority, and the way that I deal with authority in my life images how I deal with God's authority in my life. So what you have really in the Ten Commandments is love for God, love for neighbor. There's not necessarily a straightforward statement of you shall love your neighbor as yourself, but in the last six commands of the Ten Commandments, what is being expressed? Well, you should love your neighbor who is your father and your mother as yourself. You shall love your neighbor and therefore not murder. Mm. You shall love your neighbor and therefore not cheat with their spouse or against your spouse. You shall love your neighbor and not steal from them. You shall love your neighbor and not gossip about them. You shall love your neighbor and not want what they have and and live in jealousy and covetousness of, of what God has entrusted to their care. So. It's a great question, and I think that the form of the Ten Commandments call us back to the two commandments that Jesus gives.
0: Yeah, and in looking up the answer to this question, I stumbled upon Matthew 19, where Jesus is talking to someone asking him these questions. And essentially, he gives him the Ten Commandments. He just kind of lists them off, but he says, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, on your father or mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's almost like he's listing off the litany of things that you do to honor your neighbor from the list that you just gave, but then he throws in love your neighbor like that's just implied in there. That's right. That's exactly right. Like I was telling you earlier before the show, there were also several sources that I found in Jewish literature where this connection between people being made in the image of God and loving your neighbor are just intrinsically tied together. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at a quote from Brashit Rabbah. Rabbi Tankuma says, if you curse or scorn your neighbor know that God made the person you put to shame in his own image. So right there, it's just tying together. Like If you're insulting someone, it's like you're insulting God. And you, Jeff, earlier mentioned that God was telling Noah, if someone's murdered, then you should have a court that puts that person to death. It's like if you murder someone in my image, he needs to die because
1: that's an affront to me. That's right. And, and it, it, is, it calls us to understand and then further to respect the dignity of the image bearers of God. God holds us accountable for how we treat other human beings, and that's why Jesus says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then, of course, for followers of Christ, what is the 11th commandment? Jesus in in John tells his disciples in the upper room, you shall love one another as I have loved you. In fact, he says, by this will everyone know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another and i heard a speaker one time at a conference i went to 20 years ago said christians have forgotten how to one another one another Mm. and so often um we are so nasty to other human beings And, and i'm not sure where we get the idea that that's justified in scripture yes there were times when jesus spoke harshly to certain folks you know he 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 was not happy about the fact that the temple had been turned into a den of robbers. Uh, he was not happy with those who whom he said were making others twice the sons of hell because they were negating the command of God and, and favoring the commands of human beings. Um, so he spoke frankly to people. But, you know, when you look through the gospel narrative, Jesus was never hateful. Right. And I think that's such an important thing. You know, we can disagree, and, and, and we ought to disagree on some things. Uh, there are perspectives that we all have, but we have lost the ability to disagree agreeably. In other words, um, our world now compels us to think of those with, with which we have any disagreement whatsoever as the enemy and the other. And it plays itself out on social media, and we just get so nasty. And, and I can just imagine if Jesus had a Twitter account, it would not look like most of his followers' Twitter accounts, quite frankly. No. And if Jesus had a Twitter account, it wouldn't look like the world's Twitter accounts either. Um, Jesus would do it differently. And so I think that we who trust and follow Jesus have a responsibility to trust him enough to follow him even in our interactions with other humans.
0: Yeah, and that dives right into our listener-submitted question for today. If you have a question that you want Jeff to answer, a question about the Christian life, a question about a sermon, submit it to the link in the description for this show. So today's question is, love is definitely the key for all of us to walk in obedience with the Lord, but sometimes I get confused and have a hard time discerning between affirmation and love. What should it look like
1: when I love someone without affirming their bad choices? You know, I— I think that's such a great question, and I think it's such a great clarification that is so needed right now. And it's a constant clarification that I have to make in my own heart. So it's really easy for me to buy into the, the, the notion that I am pitted against every person who does not agree perfectly with me. But when I, when I take a step back and think about that for just a second, well, let me think about the closest relationships I have as a human being. Right now, I live in a house with three other people. One of them is my wife. Two of them are my children. And if I honestly think about the things about which we disagree, whether that's where certain items go in the refrigerator <laughs> or what goes out on the kitchen counter or who's in charge of taking out the trash, you know, these are the people that I am closer to than any other person on the planet. And we disagree constantly. And yet, I still love them. And they still love me. And at the end of the day, we're going to have each other's back. We're going we're to seek to protect one another. We're going to seek to build one another up. And that even extends to things like uh, effort in school. Uh, my kids don't want to do their homework it's amazing. I don't know where they got it, but they just don't want to do their homework. They would rather lay around and do nothing, watch TV, you know, whatever. They'd, they'd rather play with their friends. And yet I disagree with them. I insist that they do their homework. Why? Well, because I understand that there's a greater end. There's a greater good. Uh, my wife and I, we don't agree on everything. You know, often we don't agree on what time we need to leave to get somewhere on time. Uh, my wife calls herself an eternal optimist when it comes to time because she feels (laughs) like she's got enough time to do whatever she wants to do, and we'll still get there. And I know that that's not true. Um, And I love my wife. I I mean, I've given myself, too. I stood at an altar in a church and gave her a ring, and while I was putting it on her finger, I said, with this ring, I give my life to you and my love to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I have never done that with another human being on the planet and yet we disagree constantly. Mm-hmm. So there's got to be something there that the love that we have for one another allows us to disagree and still love one another. So then if I take that and, and I bring that into a conversation with you, you know, I got to know you in 2016. I love you. You're my brother in Christ, and we've, we've worked alongside each other and, and labored together. Well, if there's an issue about which we disagree, my default position is going to be, I love Jordan. And now, we don't see eye-to-eye eye on this, so here's what I'm going to try to do. I'm going to try to see this from his perspective. I'm going to try to understand his line of thinking. I still may disagree with him, but I'm going to give him the grace of trying to see where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. And I would hope that you would do the same, and knowing you, I think you would do the same. But I think that that's what we've lost in a world where all of our conversations, and, and I'm going to use a phrase that we kind of use around here, have gone from three-dimensional to two-dimensional. So a two-dimensional conversation is flat. It's something that is communicated on on paper or digital means where it's just, you know, it's 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 the text message that you're reading a tone into that is not there or you're failing to read a tone into that is there. And one of the things that we really came to through COVID is is if there's any tension In the conversation, take it from two-dimensional to three-dimensional right away, because when we're speaking, even if it's a FaceTime sort of a thing or a Zoom, I'm looking at your face and I'm being reminded, this is a human being who is created in the image of God, therefore worthy of dignity, honor, and respect. If they're coming from a a rude place or or a harsh place right now, then I'm going to say, okay, what's going on in their life right now? Uh, I think it's helpful. You see it all the time as a meme, but I think it's helpful that when we think about another person, we know literally about maybe three to five percent of who they are. Okay. But there's 95 to 97 percent of their life about which we are clueless. And they could have they just had a family mem- member get diagnosed with cancer this morning. They could have just you know, had some sort of financial loss that they're trying to wrap their minds around. And so should I endure abuse? No. Should not endure abuse from another human being. However, love compels me to say, okay, what might be going on in their life that would be leading them to act this way? And how can I image Christ even in this conversation? You think about the people, I mentioned the woman at the well earlier in John chapter four, and she was just nasty to Jesus. You know, would would you get me some water? How do you, a Jew, Ask me a Samaritan. How do you, a man, ask me a woman? You shouldn't even be talking to me. You know, that sort of a thing. And how does Jesus respond? He responds with convictional kindness. If you knew who you were talking to, you'd be asking me for water. So he didn't just shut her out and shut her down. No, he he met her at the level, again, Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. He met her at the level of we are humans talking to one another. I'm going to give you some grace. And now let's move forward in the conversation. Um, So I think that that's a vitally important thing. Again, love does not mean affirmation of every choice, every decision, every behavior, every lifestyle. Love doesn't mean affirmation of those things. And any thinking person who backs up and says, you know, the people that love me the most, probably disagree with me more than anybody. Mm-hmm. So it can't be true that love must mean affirmation all the time. It must be true that love goes deeper than that. Yeah.
0: Well, as always, Jeff, this has been very insightful. I got a lot out of it. I know the listeners are going to get a lot out of it. Defining love is, can be difficult, but we, when we have the Bible, it's a little bit easier. Can you pray us out today?
1: I'd love to. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we only love you because you first loved us. And we confess, none of us is worthy of your love. None of us. We've all gone too far. We've all strayed too much. We've all gone our own way. We've turned away from you. We've sinned against you. And yet, nevertheless, you so loved us that you gave your only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You tell us further that you did not send your Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through you. And what's interesting is we already stood condemned, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the sort of love that you have illustrated to us. And it is the sort of love that you call us to extend to others. And so, Lord, we pray that by your Spirit you would help us to love everyone. And we recognize that love does not mean wholesale affirmation of every choice, every behavior, every every lifestyle. Uh, Lord, those who have loved us the most have been the ones who have been honest with us and sometimes that honesty rubbed us the wrong way but nevertheless we want to live in truth we want to live in light and we want to live with a christward trajectory to our lives so help us be more like you jesus we ask it trusting you in jesus name
0: amen amen
1: Thank you for joining us.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our channel. To submit a question about Sunday's sermon, the Bible, or walking with Jesus, click the link in the episode description. Our hosts today are Pastor Jeff Reynolds and myself, Jordan Upton. Our engineer is Elliot Beckley.